Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this special day and ask that you would take each part of this service and use it to your glory and honor. Lord, we ask that you would give us a greater understanding of your word and what it contains, that we may be better equipped to be obedient to that word. We ask you to work in each heart and life here present. Lord, if it be the knowledge of salvation, Lord, those that are just struggling with life and weighed down by its burdens and its cares, Lord, that you would lift up those hands that hang down, and Lord, you would encourage each one of us here today to serve you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the book of Numbers. Of course, this is uh, Father's Day, a day that's designated uh, to honor fathers. And uh, we will try to do that both in the message and at the end of the service. I believe we have a small treat to send home with each of the fathers uh, that are here present. But Numbers chapter 26, and this is one of those little verses just tucked away in a part of our Bible that we like to read over very quickly here, all those names that we can't pronounce. And in verse 59 of Numbers chapter 26, it says, In the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed. The daughter of Levi, whom her mother bare to Levi in Egypt. Now, how many of you have heard of Amram and Jochebed? Those names ring a bell. I mean, if you read your Bible a lot, you'll know that. But once we get to the last half of the verse here, you'll understand uh, who these people are. It says, "And, And she bare unto Amram... Aaron, and Moses, and Miriam, their sister. So, Amram was the father of Moses. Uh, He is one of those uh, people in the Bible that we know very, very little about. Uh, He's mentioned in just a few verses, mostly in the genealogies. But this morning, I'd like us to just look at some of the things that had to be true in the life of this man. And, and if you like um, a title for uh, a message, it's simply Father's Day. It was a brave and selfless choice that Amram made. Uh, if you go to Exodus chapter 1, you'll find out what kind of day we, uh, Amram lived in. Uh, it was not a nice time. It was not a good time to live, to, to raise a family. And oftentimes people say, uh, we need to um, uh, be careful about the, the number of children we have. And maybe it would be best if we didn't have any uh, uh, children at all. Uh, it would probably be better, and we're bringing them into such a horrible world. Well, I'll tell you what, your world today is nothing comparable to Amram's world. 
If you look in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Now, here's what had happened is several generations before, the children of Israel, numbering about 75 people, had gone into the land of Egypt. And in that period of time, they had grown to be a great and mighty nation. And the Egyptians said, what are we going to do with this uh, strange people group living in our borders? And they came up with this idea that they would make them slaves. And they did. And when they saw that slavery didn't work, then they tried the next step, which was genocide. Meaning that if a boy was born, that boy was to be killed uh, as a child so that there'd be no continuation of the Jewish people as a people. Those were the days in which Amram took a wife. And they had three children that were born to their family. Miriam, Aaron, and last of all, Moses. And the edict to to kill the male children as they were born had apparently passed sometime between Aaron and and, uh, Moses' birth. The Bible tells us they were about three years apart. But I want us to just think about this. It was a time of slavery, oppression, became a time of death and genocide. And Amram kept true to his charge. He fulfilled his duty as a father. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, I remember hearing the story of Moses in the little basket since I was old enough to to remember hearing Bible stories. And it was always how his mother built the basket and his mother took care of him and his mother did all of these things. As I got older and and read my Bible, I found that it wasn't only his mother that did that. It says he was hid of his parents. You know, things that happen in the home happen a lot better when mom and dad are in agreement and do it together. Could we say amen to that? I mean, that's that's the way that God likes things done. And... uh, I'll tell you, we take the story of Amram, which is only a few sentences in the Bible. Amram took a wife. They had children. That's all we know about Amram. Except that he was a slave in some of the darkest days of the Egyptian oppression and bondage. As far as we know, Amram never left left Egypt. He probably died 
there in the land of Egypt, Moses was 80 years old when he led the children of Israel out. If Amram was still alive, that would put him about 120, 130 years old. He probably wasn't there. You know, we have an idea here in the United States, uh, something that we think that is God-given and something we think that we ought to do, that, that every generation ought to have it better than the generation before then. Now, that's a nice thought, but it doesn't always work that way, my friend. It didn't work that way for Amram. He did not leave a better world for his son to grow up in. He couldn't. He was a slave. But what did his son do? His son went up to the top of Mount Sinai and got God's laws. I like what one preacher said, and more than one said it. When you say something good, it doesn't hurt to copy it. Think of all the laws that we have in this country called the United States. Millions and millions and millions of laws. Every one of them trying to help you keep the Ten Commandments. Uh, Who brought the Ten Commandments down off the mountain? Uh, Moses did, didn't he? Could I ask you a question? Where would Moses be without Amram? He wouldn't. He was Amram's son. He was his youngest son. You see, Amram's son gave the world its greatest truth until God's son walked the streets of Jerusalem. Amen. And God used Amram because he didn't do anything incredible. He just got married and had some children. And you know what? Most of the raising of Moses wasn't even done in Amram's home. He didn't live there until... Hardly, at the very latest, we would figure would be about five years old. And then Moses was moved out of the home and into the palace of of Pharaoh. And, And I'll tell you, you want to pick a rotten place to grow up where you're exposed to every sin and vice known to the depravity of mankind. Moses had it in Pharaoh's house. Uh, there was a reason why the Egyptians died young. It's called sin. You read their stories. Well, maybe you ought not read their stories. Uh, They're not very nice. Uh, They were a very licentious and wicked people. But Moses got something in those first few years while he was being taken care of by his mother because when he became 40 years old, according to the book of Hebrews... 
he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to identify with the people of Israel. Tell you what, I like Amram. Amen? You see, he did something. He was a father. Could I challenge you, gentlemen here today, that if God has given you the privilege to be a father, look for no higher calling in your life. Amram fulfilled the duties of being a father. Marriage is a wonderful thing. It's ordained by God in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve. God said that a man would leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too would be one flesh. I met a young man several years ago, and he said, I... I don't want a marriage license. I think that's signing your kids over to the government. Now, you don't have to be around here to know that I am no fan of big government. But if you want to stand against big government, that's not the way to do it. It's just simply not. You know what a marriage license does? A marriage license gives a legal public testimony that you care enough about your wife and the children that God's going to give you to give your name to them. That's important. That's important in the Word of God. Uh, A marriage is a contract. The Bible says, till death do us part. What did Jesus say? He said, except for the hardness of your hearts. You know, hearts aren't any less hard today than they were in Jesus' day. Than they were in Moses' day. In fact, I'll tell you what, people have used slavery in the past as an excuse not to get married. Just to foster children and and move on and keep moving on. And let me tell you something. Amram had enough character to take a wife. To make a home, even in those terrible situations. In 1 Peter chapter 3 gives us this notice for us today. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and so being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You know what? Peter was saying there, he's saying, man, if you're married, you're supposed to dwell in that house with your wife according to knowledge. Now, what is that knowledge? Well, let me tell you what it is in first. It's not understanding what a woman is. That's something no man will ever be able to do. 
Don't try. Because you're wasting time. Ladies, that's not an insult. You're wasting the time that God has given you to get the knowledge that is necessary to make life enjoyable for her. You know what? If you're married here today, you can think about some things that make your wife happy. That's what the Bible's talking about. He says, giving honor unto them as unto the weaker vessel. And I've met some people, they wanted to argue this point. I'm not the weaker vessel. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, I could believe that. But that's not what that's talking about, ladies. If you're driving down this road, and don't ever do this, but people do. They'll take an old Coke bottle and finish it and pitch it out the window. What happens to the Coke bottle? Some, built, some bottle picker comes along, picks it up, takes it in, and turns it in for the nickel or dime or whatever the deposit is. It doesn't hurt the bottle. Now, you wouldn't go to a fine gift shop And uh, I've been told this, I'm not into this much, but the difference between a vase and a vase is about $100. Is is that a good, fair guesstimate, ladies? Uh, If it's cheap, it's a vase. If you have to pay a lot of money for it, it's a vase. And, And you know what you do? If it's an expensive vase, you set it up on a shelf, now don't you? And people come in and they look at it and they say, wow, that's a neat thing there. They have them in museums. Do you know what they used to use some of those vases for? Let's not go there this morning. But but they take them and they put them in museums and people come and they stare at them. Why? Because they're valuable. They give honor unto them. Gentlemen... That's the way you're supposed to treat the woman that is your wife. She is supposed to be valued and honored. Protected and taken care of. Because unlike the Coke bottle, you can't turn her in for a deposit. She's a gift from God. I love the way my preacher put it. I'm the man of my house because my wife lets me be. There's a lot of truth in that statement. But let me tell you something, gentlemen. If you'll dwell in that house according to knowledge... It'll be a whole lot easier for her to do the things that a wife ought to do. What that leadership thing and and being in charge and all that, people, wives, obey your husbands. Give her a reason to, my friend, and she will. 
At least that's the way it's worked in my house for the last 27 years. That's what the Bible says. And let me tell you something. In a life of slavery and oppression, Amram had to do something right to keep his family together. And that leads to the next point. You know what? A father is the provider. It's been said, the greatest gift that a father can give his children is to love their mother. And I believe that with all my heart. It's providing a home. That means doing more than just paying the bills and signing over the paycheck and going and watching football on the TV or whatever you happen to do. It is dwelling according to knowledge. Being joint heirs together of the grace of life. And the Bible says, gentlemen, if you don't do that, your prayers are going to be hindered. I'll tell you what, there's coming a time when you're going to want God to answer prayers. You look down on that feverish brow of that little child and you're going to want God to answer some prayers now, aren't you? Let me tell you something. There's an awful lot we can learn about God from what the Bible says our earthly fathers ought to do, and that's probably one of the greatest missing things in our society today. You know what? A father's supposed to provide for his children. And this is actually, we're not going to go through the whole thing, but the lesson that they're teaching there, because in the children's church downstairs while we're up here, you see, a father is to provide for his children... And the example is how God, our Father, provides for us. How that God takes care of us as His children. He offers us first salvation, does He not? He offers us a home in heaven. He offers us strength and His protection. You know, a father is supposed to discipline his children. Now, we're not talking about child abuse here, but I'll tell you what. There's an awful lot that is destroyed in our society today because children don't know the meaning of the word no. In fact, the way I like to put it, hope you don't mind hearing again, my daddy taught me the meaning of two words. No and now. I'll tell you what, there's a whole education in those two words. There's a whole lot of learning. You don't have to abuse a child to discipline them. Contrary to popular belief. You read Hebrews chapter 12. It says our Heavenly Father disciplines us. And it says, Woe be to us if there is no discipline because we're not His children. 
God wants us to do right, and He wants to teach us how to live, and that's part of that job because that provides for a future. A child that has never had any instruction, when they grow up, it's a sad story. They don't know. That's why we have people who believe that police officers walk the streets trying to shoot people. That's not true. But please, please, just listen to the preacher for a minute. If a police officer stops you, don't get in a fist fight with him. What kind of sense is that? And yet you take these little indigent brats that are now adults that have never ever been told no. And they don't know what to do. Because they never had a father in their life that cared enough about them. Teach them the meaning of the word no. Let me tell you, God's going to have a way of teaching you the meaning of the word no. It's called the white judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to say no to heaven. And no to eternal life. And no to a relationship with God because you refused to accept what Jesus did on the cross. That's why it says it is finished. Somebody said, preacher, you put that up there right as you finished the auditorium. Yeah, it was the last thing. It had nothing to do with the auditorium project. It's what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? And the question I love to ask people is, Jesus did say it is finished on the cross, then why is 99% of all religion giving you an opportunity to try to finish what Jesus has already done? Could it be that religion is wrong? And Jesus is right. I believe so. You see, God has done so much more for us than any earthly father can do. He paid for my sins on the cross. So that I could have eternal life and so that I could be with Him in heaven someday. It says in Luke chapter 12, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You see, Amram made some decisions in his life, and those decisions provided for a family. He had a marriage with his wife. He provided a home for his children, even though he was a slave. He gave them a future because he taught them the difference between right and wrong. He set some direction in that home, and his direction was in direct opposition to the tyranny and the evil of Pharaoh, who said, let's kill all the Jews. He said, I'm not listening. He said, I'm not afraid of Pharaoh. In fact, I, I, I love the play on words and, and how actually they took and, and were obedient. What did Pharaoh say? He said, if a ch male child is born, you're to throw him in the river. So what did they do with Moses? Exactly what Pharaoh said. 
Only they built an ark first, and they made sure it was waterproof, and I'm sure Mama put some blankets in there to keep baby nice and warm and all of that and covered and safe. She obeyed the king's commandment, but she saved her little baby alive. I'll tell you what. Amram had a part in that. Because it said the parents hid them. And by the way, who watched Moses while he's floating around in the ark? Older sister Miriam. Do you think she had a little bit of mama and daddy in her? Because as soon as Pharaoh's daughter picked up the baby, she said, let me go find you one of the Hebrew women to take care of that baby. wonder where she learned that stuff. That's what a home is all about, my friend. Amen. You see, Amram set some directions. And Amram had enough wisdom to know what to do. And Amram and Jacob had worked together to save the life of that little child. And there was an awful lot that they couldn't do. And you know what they did with that? They trusted God. Do you know how hard it is to trust God with something you can't do? Try it sometime. We say all the time, I'm just trusting the Lord. That's probably one of the great lies of our age, don't you think? Because if you were really trusting the Lord, why are you trying to get it done on your own? Amram had to trust God. Because he was a slave if he didn't show up at work. There were bad things that were going to happen. He did not have freedom of choice and freedom of decision. But he made enough freedom... Saved the life of that little boy, didn't he? I I like a man like that. And the Bible doesn't give us all the details. And I believe one of the reasons it doesn't give us all the details is because it wants us, the Bible, God wants us to use a little bit of thought process on this thing and to think about this and realize that my details might not be the same as Amram's, but my obedience ought to be the same as Amram's. Amen? That my desire to serve God ought to be as earnest, as complete as His was. You see, there's, there's some things that Father has to do. He's the one that makes the home. Mama guides it, but Daddy builds it. He's the one that's supposed to initiate that marriage thing. And I know the man chases the girl until she catches him, but... Uh, There's an awful lot of truth there to the simple truth that man is supposed to initiate and lead in these things. And Amram did. And he set some direction in that house. And he did what he could do. And when he couldn't do any more, he trusted God. And God did what Amram couldn't do. This next one's going to sound a little funny. But 
Amram provided security for his family. I don't have a lot of hobbies, but one of the things that I've liked to do is listen to some old radio shows. And, and uh, one of those old radio shows was about uh, a police department and things. And, and they did several programs. This was back in the, in the 50s, early 50s. They said the number one cause of problems in children's lives was father absent in the home. This is back in the 50s. The number one problem. Having a father in the home does something. Nothing else will. You see, a father protects from that which would come in. There's an awful lot of things out there. But, you know, most thieves, in our day and time, we had some thieves that specialize in striking when people are at home. But for the most part, thieves like to attack when no one's at home. If they know that there is a man that lives in that home with his family, thieves are just far less likely to break in when they know or have a a belief that the father may be at home. It's just something that God does. If you're a coward enough to break into a home and steal from it, you don't want to find a man on the other end of that window. But the Father also offers protection from that which is in within. And I, I believe that that's why Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have only been in that home a few short years. But the influence and the presence of mom and dad made a difference in Moses' life that when he was 40 years old, He said, I'm not identifying with these Egyptians. I'm one of those slaves out there. I don't know how that happened. I believe the the mighty hand, the unseen hand of God, of course, was working. But the unseen hand of God uses things that are seen, does it not? Here's what Solomon said to his son. He said, my son... Give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. I've heard an awful lot on how to discipline children. But I'll tell you this. Dad, if you get their heart, you got the rest of them. If you don't have that heart, It doesn't matter how stringent, how strict, and how enforcing you are. It's not going to work. But, Dad, your heart's got to be in tune with this book called the Bible. Before you have the right 
to ask for your children's hearts. My wife and I have made a study, and we are praying with all of our might for every one of our children. Serve the Lord. We had somebody in here a while ago. We had no idea they thought this way. But said something like this. Well, four out of five isn't bad. I'm sitting here going, no, that doesn't work. Four out of five is not acceptable. I want 12 out of 12. I want every one of my children to love God. But there's only one way that works. The number one reason children turn their back on this book called the Bible is because of hypocrisy in the lives of the parents. The number one reason. And I don't want to give names, and I don't want to do that, and I wouldn't give anybody's name here, but we've studied this over the years. Your children will love what you love, Dad. They can't help it. God wired them that way. It's your job to provide security in the home. To protect your children from that which comes in from the outside. But also to protect them from that which is already in the heart of man. There's not someone that's ever lived that hasn't sinned, the Bible says, with exception of the Lord Jesus Christ, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Could I tell you that just simply being a father takes as much courage as any other, in fact, more courage than any other decision. If you choose to be a member of the United States military and they send you to a live fire zone, you know one thing. It's going to be over in a few weeks or months. I'm going to be taken off the front line and given a little rest and more training and maybe I'll have to go back again. But there's an end to that. You know what the end of being a father is? Being a grandfather. And then there's twice as many of them to take care of. Actually, in our case, I imagine there'll be more than twice as many, but we'll, we'll see what happens. That's why my wife is not here today. She's out with Sarah. Helping take care of the new little grandbaby who's supposed to be in church this morning in Oklahoma City for her first service, 10 days old. I tell you, I miss my wife, but I'm glad she's where she is, doing what she's doing. That's, that's part of being daddy and granddaddy. You see, being a father 
doesn't end. I hope to haunt every one of my children from the grave. Not in a literal sense. But I want my words and my actions to speak to them long after they're gone. Long after I'm gone. Let me say that right. How can that work? You do what the Bible says. And you get those children's hearts. They'll want to do what the Bible says. You see, it takes a lot of courage to be a dad. Because you never get a break. You don't get to take a vacation from being father. Never. Nor should you want one. That goes with the package, amen? And our Heavenly Father never takes a break, does He? There's never a time that we can't call upon Him. Earthly fathers, guess what? We're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. You don't have to be perfect to be a dad. But you do have to be there to be a dad. Could I challenge you men today? If God used Amram to do what he did in his day, and he did do it, that is a real life story. It is a man who lived in his son, arguably as one of the most famous men in all of history. Simply because Amram did what was right. Could he use you to be a father today? You got a whole lot easier than Amram did, let me tell you that. And it's hard to preach on Father's and Father's Day and Mother's and Mother's Day because there's so many problems with our earthly mothers and earthly fathers and so much trouble that has happened over the years. And we don't mean to recall all of the sad details. And But I do want to challenge you with this thought. Don't let problems with your earthly father affect your relationship with your heavenly father. Amen? You say, how do I do that? Well, it's real easy. You stop thinking about how you've been injured and how you got hurt and just begin believing in all the good things that God has done that talked about in this book, and He'll take care of it. You see, the answer is right here. If we had a generation of men that would stand up and be fathers, it would change history. 
It would change the direction of this country. I'm not very pleased with what's happening in our nation right now. But the answer is not in the political arena. The political arena is a reflection of what's going on in the hearts and souls of the people who live in this nation. We, we have the president that we voted in, that we deserve as a nation. You want a better one? You get with your heavenly father and get things straight, and he'll give us a better one. There's an awful lot we can learn. Fathers, use today, Father's Day, as a time to evaluate who and what God has made you and how He's used you and ask Him to make you the Father that He wants you to be in the future. Amen? People, I'll tell you what, I like Father's Day. I've already gotten two or three texts. I got a picture from Sarah of me holding her when she was two years old. And she said, this is my favorite picture. And I'm walking with her across the yard somewhere. And, uh, you know, that, that's, in fact, one of my daughters made me a key lime cheesecake. Yes, I have to share. But that's that's how children honor their father. And I, I kind of like that. I like Father's Day. I'm glad it's only one day a year. Or I'd weigh 400 pounds. Amen? But Could we honor our Heavenly Father? Could we, could we take this day and use it as an opportunity to be thankful for all the things that He has done and provided for us? And use this day as an opportunity to honor Him? The greatest honor that a father can receive is when his sons imitate his life. There's no greater honor than that. God would like to be honored that way. When His children make choices that are in agreement with His will because they want to say yes to Him. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning and Lord, we're thankful for the day and the things that are remembered on this day. But, Lord, I just ask that you would work in our hearts and our lives. And that we would be ever ever mindful of the fact that we should honor you every day as our Heavenly Father. Lord, if there be some here that do not know you as their Savior, that today would at least be a step closer to that surrender and bring salvation. We ask you to work in our hearts and lives that you may be honored 
and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation, 301.